Thank you and good morning, everyone. Can everyone hear me okay? I'm seeing some nods. Well, if I could just take a moment to introduce myself and to say a thank you, because I am a living testimony that God answers prayers and he does miracles. You might have heard about me and my story. I had a bit of a tricky time in hospital last year. It was touch and go. Uh, I spent a weekend in HDU and it looked like I might not pull through. Uh, and then beyond that, it looked like my life would be considerably different and limited. And yet, you and many others called out to our gracious God, who was able to do amazing things. And here I am today, with the privilege of saying thank you, glory to Jesus, and to serve you by ministering God's word. Isn't God good? And doesn't that give you confidence as we pray for all sorts of different things? Our God is a God who answers prayer in power. So let's come to that God now, our God, asking that he would speak to us from his word. Please, would you pray with me again? Heavenly Father, we want to humble ourselves before you and ask that you would speak to each one of us from your word. Because we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I realize that you've moved on to John chapter 4, and now you're jumping back to John chapter 3. And I won't make any comments about the preaching schedule that Owen has drawn up, but here we are, I'm filling in the gaps. John chapter 3. What is it that the living God wants to say to the world that he's made? What is it that he wants to say to you? Well, it's the Bible. All of it. That is God's message to the world. That is God revealing who he is, explaining who you are and the purpose of your life, the purpose of the world. It's all of the Bible. But if we're honest, the Bible is quite long. Have you noticed that? It is a little bit long. And if we're honest, there are parts that we struggle to understand. But God is so kind. And so within the Bible, he is given little summaries that sum up the whole of the core message. And one such summary is John chapter 3, verse 16, probably the most famous verse in the whole Bible. You could probably say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Is talking about the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, explaining why he was given to die. It's so that we might not perish, but have God's life. 26 words to sum up the core message of the Bible, but there are times when 26 words is too much. Have you been there? I've been there. No, thank you. When I was in hospital, I couldn't even read a text message and take it in. There are times in all of our lives when 26 words is too much, but God is so kind. He summed up the whole of the Bible in just three words. So that whatever we're going through and whatever our 
mental capacity is, we can get it. Jesus is Lord. And contained in those three words, Jesus is Lord, is all the comfort you'll ever need. Do you know that? In those three words, rule the confidence that you'll ever need to live by faith and to die in peace. If you understand that Jesus is Lord. Contained in all those, in those three words are all the instruction that you'll know to understand life and to be trained into righteousness. It's all bound up in those beautiful three words. That is what God wants the whole world to understand. And it's what God wants you to get this morning, that Jesus is Lord. Do you know that? Because we turn on the news and it looks like the world is in utter chaos. Doesn't it seem like that? Or is it just me? I need to be reminded today that Jesus is Lord When I'm struggling with health problems and face an uncertain future, what do I need to know? Jesus is Lord. When I feel crushed by my guilt, condemned by my sin, what do I need to know? That Jesus is Lord. Do you know that today? And that's what our passage declares to us. It sums up the third little section of that reading that we had in John. So if you have your Bibles, it might be helpful to keep them open so you can go through it. But the Bible makes it crystal clear that Jesus is not just a man. That's what people love to say and teach today, but it's just not true. The Bible says that he's not just a man. He's not merely a teacher. He's not simply a prophet. He's not just a way to know God. Jesus is the living God in the flesh. He is Lord. He is the eternal Son of God who has always existed in loving harmony with his Father and the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is above and beyond everyone and everything else. In the beginning, God the Father spoke his word, filled with the almighty breath of God, and through him created everything that's been made. So that down to the tiniest subatomic particle. It all traces its origin back to Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus didn't just create the heavens and the earth in a way that they tick along nicely, independent of him. The Bible says that Jesus continues to uphold the universe. He made it all and he sustains it all. He is the very fabric of reality, the logic of the universe. So without him, everything would just unravel. That's the kind of authority and power and necessity that the Bible places in Jesus' hands. The Lord. So in a deep sense, the reason why you and I can be here today and the reason why we can draw our next breath is because Jesus allows it and enables it. Jesus is Lord. He is incomparable and unparalleled in his power. He is seated in the highest heaven on the highest throne, reigning far above all other rulers and governments, whether in heaven or on earth or under the earth. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And so as we look at John chapter 3, verses 31 to 36, we see that Jesus is from above. Therefore, he's above all. Likewise, Jesus is from heaven. Therefore, he's above all. 
He tells the truth even though the world doesn't want to hear it. He shows the world the light even though the world doesn't want to see it. He gives the world eternal life. But the world doesn't want to receive it. Jesus is loved by God the Father, we read, who has placed everything into his hands. And yet, gloriously, how does Jesus wield this supreme power? How would you wield such supreme power? If you could do anything. Well, Jesus wields his supreme power for the powerless. That's what he's like. Jesus is Lord, and so he is above and beyond everything else. Now we read in John chapter 3, verse 22, how this awesome Lord of heaven and earth was in the Judean countryside. He was with his disciples. It's a wonderful juxtaposition, isn't it? But there he was in the Judean countryside, and People were coming to them to be baptized. We know from chapter 4 that Jesus himself didn't do any of the baptizing. That was down to his disciples. But Jesus was there. And it was an amazing thing that was going on. People were trusting in Jesus and so having their sins totally forgiven, given new and clean and eternal life. And as a visible symbol of all this, they were washed in the waters. God's life was throwing out, flowing out through Jesus and, trans, and transforming people's lives. An amazing picture, but can you get this? Can you believe what else was going on there in the Judean wilderness? Someone has a problem with it. John the Baptist was also busy baptize, baptizing people out there in the Judean countryside. And as we'll see in a, in a little while... John the Baptist wasn't in competition with Jesus. John knew his God-given role was to prepare the way for Jesus, the Lord. He identified Jesus as the Messiah. So John's mission was all about Jesus and the life that Jesus gives. We read in verse 25 that in this environment where heaven was breaking in, some of John's disciples were drawn into an argument with a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. What? (laughs) It's bonkers, isn't it? Jesus is there, the Lord of heaven and earth, the Christ, the one filled with the Spirit without limit, who gives the Spirit, who baptizes with the Spirit, who gives the waters of living water, He gives eternal life, and there's someone upset about ceremonial washing. There was a child's birthday party at one of those soft play centers. Has anyone there been subject to an afternoon or a morning in a soft play center? I'm sure the padded walls and floors are there as much for the parents being driven insane as it is for the children playing. Despite every square inch of the place being covered in wipeable cushions, children are experts at injuring themselves, aren't they, Rita? Where there seems to be no way. Here's a place you cannot injure yourself. It's impossible. They'll find a way. They're like that. Well, there was a mum who happened to be a doctor, and she brought her daughter along to one of these birthday parties in a soft play centre, and one of the other children managed to find a way of hurting herself. And so the doctor, mum, 
goes and gives first aid to this poor, sobbing child. But whilst caring for this little one who's hurt themselves, the daughter of the doctor mum comes up to her mum, crying herself. Why, was she so upset that her friend has been hurt? No, she's in pieces because she doesn't know where her baby is. Now, her baby is a little doll, and she doesn't know where the doll is. And she's she's crying, she's lost, I've lost my baby, I've lost my baby. Now, to her, her lost baby, her doll, is very important, isn't it? But above and beyond their little perspective is something so much more important, isn't there? A doctor actually looking after a child. Out in the Judean countryside, the waters of eternal life were flowing, and someone was more concerned about ceremonial washing. I'm sure to them it was a very important issue. But above and beyond their little vantage point was something infinitely more glorious, wasn't there? I found, when talking to people about Jesus... They'll raise all kinds of objections to steer the conversation away from Jesus and the life that he gives. Have you found that? What about dinosaurs? That was a response to me when I was chatting with a friend. I was explaining how they can know the forgiveness of their sins and guaranteed life in heaven with the Lord forever. And their response is, what about dinosaurs? Anything to deflect from Jesus. But there's all sorts of different responses, aren't there? Well, all religions are the same, aren't they? Religion is the cause of all wars. I don't like what the Bible says about sexual ethics. Science. The church are just a bunch of hypocrites. And the list goes on and on, full of red herrings. Distractions from what really matters. You could have endless discussions about dinosaurs and geology and the fossil record and the historicity of the Bible and everything else. All the while, John chapter 3 verse 36 says, if you continue to reject Jesus, then the wrath of God remains on you. This is serious stuff. The judge of the whole earth holds me accountable for my life for what I've done, and I'm in danger. God has done something for me so that I don't have to face the judgment I deserve. There is something far more serious. The thing is, it doesn't just happen out there when we're talking to people who don't yet trust Jesus. What's crazy is it happens in places like this. Church is God's people, bought by the blood of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, called to love and serve our Savior, showing off his glory by being lovingly united in him. What an amazing purpose we have. And yet we can be like that child, more concerned about the doll than her actual friend who's hurt. Churches can be staggeringly distracted from what really matters by the most ridiculously trivial things. I once heard of a church which split and ended up closing over an argument about an outside gate. 
It would be funny if it weren't so tragic. Let that sink in. The witness of the open gateway of heaven was shut in a community over a dispute over a gate, a little metal frame. Have a rusty, worn-out gate. Have a new gate. Have no gate. Have any gate. What does it really matter when set against who Jesus is? That he's Lord and he gives real and lasting life to anyone who trusts him. The thing is, we might say, oh, that is tragic. Arguing over a gate? How ridiculous. But then we go on to our own hobby horse. Music. Now that is something that is really important. I don't know why it's music, but it is often a hot topic in churches. People argue over the music. It's too loud. It's too quiet. I don't like the style. We can't have a guitar in church. What does it really matter as long as we're worshipping the living God? That's what really matters, that Jesus is Lord. He's above and beyond this, and he gives life. It could be all sorts of different things. The seating, our clothes. You know, after a sermon one evening, I chatted to a lady who confronted me after the service to complain about my wife. She wasn't even there. But she (laughs) complained to me about my wife because she allowed me to wear a shirt that hadn't been ironed. Because I don't know if you know this, but Jesus can't save anyone if ministers have wrinkly collars. Write that down. It's important. Or so you would think by how passionate she was about this. We've all got something that we need to get over and look beyond and see that Jesus is Lord. He gives life. Yes, we need to deal with these things on a practical level, don't we? But let's get things in the right order. C.S. Lewis imagines the demon screw tape giving this advice to his demon nephew, Wormwood. I think I warned you before that if your patient can't be kept out of the church, he ought at least to be violently attached to some party within it. Who's going to be pleased when churches are torn apart over music or pews or seating or clothing? It's not Jesus. Who's going to be glad to know that brothers and sisters in Christ are arguing over light fittings and carpet designs? Who's going to be delighted to see the kingdom of God distracted and stunted by the volume of music? It's not Jesus. So what brings an end to this controversy? How are we going to not get distracted by these kinds of arguments? What will bring us together in a way which reflects the peace of God's kingdom? Well, what happened in John chapter 3? You see, there was a chain reaction of grumbling. These riled up disciples of John were drawn into an argument. And then they came to John with a problem of their own. They've been worked up by this certain Jew about ceremonial washing. And they come to John with their own issue. Do you see it? One thing leads to another. There's this chain reaction. They say to John, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Underneath this, there seems to be the idea that these disciples believe Jesus owes any success to John the Baptist. 
Because in their eyes, John gave him a leg up by pointing people to him. And so Jesus owes him. And now they see everyone going to Jesus instead of John. So it's unfair to them. They assume that John and Jesus are in competition. So what ends this argument? It's the truth that Jesus is Lord. And the fact that John the Baptist knew it. We could call that recognition from John as humility, couldn't we? Humility is owning up that I am not God. I am a creature utterly dependent on the living God. I am not the saviour. I am a sinner in need of grace. I am not in charge. I am a servant who needs to obey my master's will. I am not all wise. I need to be taught the truth. That's John the Baptist's attitude. And John's humility disarms the argument before it can even start. He says that you can only receive what heaven gives in verse 27. And that makes me think of the Apostle Paul when he says, by the grace of God I am what I am. And I think of Job in the Old Testament, who after his severe ordeal, such tragedy, what's he say? He says, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We like to talk of my ministry, my church, my gifts. But ultimately, it's God's ministry, God's church, God's gifts. John knew that. He knew that Jesus is Lord. And John refocuses his disciples' vision on Jesus. He reminds his disciples that he isn't the Messiah, but Jesus is. John is a servant sent ahead of him. That's verse 28. And then he likens himself to the best man at a wedding. The best friend of the bridegroom at a wedding. Now the groom's best friend wouldn't be much of a friend if he was out seducing the wife, the bride, would he? It would be awful. No friend at all. He would be an enemy. But John is a faithful friend. And he sees people going to Jesus and he's thrilled by it. And he sums it all up, this humble attitude with such an amazing statement that is worth learning. He must become greater, I must become less. Because Jesus is Lord and not me. That stopped the chain reaction of arguments. And this kind of humility will put an end to all arguments. An argument can only truly be an argument when pride is at the table. Remove pride and self-interest and a mutual search for truth arises. Because we're not about getting my way. We're about what is best, what is true, what is the Lord's will. That's what humility brings. But it comes with this shocking realization that I am not at the center of the universe. Jesus is. Jesus is above and beyond me. Whatever I have is a gift. We are stewards of what God gives us. I am not the Messiah. I am in need of a savior. Any special role entrusted to me is not for me to show off, say, hey, look at Dom. It's for me to say, look at Jesus. Isn't he great? Isn't he the greatest? Jesus must become greater. I must become 
less. It's been said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. You're captivated with Jesus. Have you ever stood on the beach looking at the vastness of the ocean and feel so small? Have you ever looked up at the night sky and feel the overwhelming vastness of this cosmos that we find ourselves in and think how tiny and insignificant I am? Well, we come to the one who made the seas, the one who stretched out the heavens. How majestic is this almighty Lord Jesus? And then we realize that this same one laid down his life for me? He suffered in our place, dying for our sin, because he loves us. How great he is. What a privilege it is to know him and to serve him. Jesus is Lord. Amen.